0: Welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show with Landon Witt. You're about to learn hyper-local market knowledge happening right now in the Oklahoma City real estate market. This is your fresh weekly report on housing conditions that will enable you to make smarter investment decisions and gain insight on local trends. Landon is a genuine, self-made top realtor in Oklahoma City with millions of dollars in real estate closed every year and hundreds of satisfied clients. He's top rated by sites like Zillow, Trulia, Realtor.com, and Homes.com. Whether you live right here in the city or across the country, welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show.
1: Welcome to episode 23, coming up on today's show. Oklahoma City economist Dr. Russell Evans talks about the financial futures for the OKC economy. But first, here's your market snapshot provided by Oakmar, the local area MLS. 132 homes came onto the market this week, 108 selling for the week. Average days on market was 38, down from last week's 39 days. The average list price was $149,900 with homes selling at just under list at 149000 And
0: here's the news. Hello, I'm Aaron Christian in Oklahoma City for the OKC Real Estate Show with this week's news. The MAPS program, also known as the Penny Tax, has been responsible for funding major improvements in Oklahoma City, such as the Boathouse District, Bricktown, the Streetcar, Convention Center, and Tail Park. Mayor David Holt has announced on YouTube they are reaching out to local residents for project ideas. Submit your ideas on ideasformaps.com or on social media using the hashtag ideasformaps. Amazon's 2.6 million square foot fulfillment center is under construction for completion next year and can now be seen from Interstate 44 just south of Southwest 89th. It's a large industrial structure in the middle of a pasture. It's a stark reminder of the transition coming to central Oklahoma. Amazon is expected to bring 1,500 jobs to OKC as early as fall of 2019. Millennials are buying homes. The Dallas Morning News reported last week, but Oklahoma City owners didn't need any Dallas real estate to be interested in the report, as it's based on data from all across the country. Millennials are those born between 1981 and 1997, and they made up 34% of homebuyers last year, more than any other age group, according to the National Association of Realtors. Oklahoma City homeowners probably found that surprising. The nonprofit Urban Land Institute finds that millennials have very different plans. Perhaps partially due to the current brightening economic picture, something like 70% expect to live in a single family home within a couple of years. But current Oklahoma City homeowners who look to attract younger buyers might also be wise to note a few changes in some millennial preferences. Community, connectivity, and inclusiveness. Translation, the concept of walls and gates is completely inverted. Another factor impacting many millennials is an unprecedented level of student and car loan debt, which tends to make them even more cost conscious than prior generations.
1: All right. Welcome to the show. We're here with Dr. Evans, executive director of the Stephen A.G., Economic Research and Policy Institute, an Associate Professor of Economics for Oklahoma City University. Dr. Evans, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So we've got some important things to talk about regarding the future of Oklahoma City. You know, folks that grew up here remember a small town, and now it's a big, bustling city with soaring skyscrapers and uh, big talent coming through here. I think last last year we had Garth Brooks playing a show. We've got an incredible NBA team uh, and some new construction going on downtown every day, every day a new thing. So uh, talk to us a little bit about the economic outlook for Oklahoma City. Should we hang tight for now? Is it gonna, are we going to see this immediate impact or how long is this going to take before we really start to see this city take off?
2: Yeah, for a little context here, and, and we can go down any of these avenues you'd like to go down today. But uh, I was raised in Tulsa and being raised in Tulsa in the, you know, moved there in 77. So I was there in the 80s and the early 90s. Oklahoma City was that city you didn't really want to have to go to. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you were in Tulsa at that time, Tulsa was where the, you know, the arts and Tulsa was the cultural center of Oklahoma. Oklahoma City was that place that uh, I remember one time my friends and I wanted to come down to Oklahoma City. My mom was just saying, like, really? Like, you know, like that's that's not the safe place to go. And And then just a few years ago, a a colleague of mine at the university was giving a speech to a business group in Tulsa, and somebody stood up and said, you know, what does Tulsa need to do to really be more like Oklahoma City? And that's 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 a perspective mm. that an Oklahoman never would have voiced out loud. A Tulsa never would have said that out loud in the eighties and the nineties. And it's really, to your point, it's really shifted. Oklahoma City has really emerged as as you know the the corporate headquarters, the industry headquarters, the arts headquarters, the it's really is the the cultural center now of, of Oklahoma. Uh, I think Tulsa is looking to sort of regain some of that. I think Tulsa's on pace for its it, its its own growth, but topic for another day. But it really has changed a lot. So o- Oklahoma City has really benefited from the last oh eight or ten years or more uh, of really robust growth. It really carved out its own economic identity in Oklahoma.
1: Mm. And and what would you say is really the contributing factor to that?
2: Yeah. So a lot of it comes down to economic geography, right? So geography has to do with where things are located. So a lot of Oklahoma City's success is has to do with where it's located. It's located on this I-35 corridor that sits just north of all of this robust economic activity that's happening to our south in Texas. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, for context, um, you know, you, you think about Austin, Texas to the south. You go back to 1991 and Austin was a smaller city than Oklahoma City. Right. So we're very similar capitals. They both have universities, you know, a lot of similarities in terms of geography. Oklahoma City was a much larger city, and then starting in about the mid-90s, early 90s, Austin just starts this growth rate, this population growth rates of 2 and 3% per year year after year after year after year. Um, and you think about your you know, like your business finance class and your rule of 72, right, years to doubling. Mm-hmm. And so at a 2%, 3% growth rate, your population's doubling every generation. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just fast. Wow. So it sort of runs away from Austin. If you've ever been down to Austin lately, they're, they're still behind. So they still can't build infrastructure fast enough because they got behind. And we started saying in Oklahoma City about, oh, I don't know, my we started this research in probably 2009 or 10 um, and at that point, we, we identified some trends and said, boy, Oklahoma City is on the verge of its own transformation. And we really began to have this conversation in 2010 and 11 and 12 about Oklahoma City's role in this I-35 corridor. Oklahoma City appears to be where Austin was in the early 90s, in this very opening stages of its transformation to a major city. And so we seem to be, uh, you know, in the in the opening stretches of that of that particular transformation. But um, but if you've been in Oklahoma City long enough, it's it's happening. You know, it's happening fast. Um, it's just amazing how much stuff's going on.
1: Well, I think there's an important aspect of getting into a city that's maybe not all the way there yet, because if I think about. Starting a business now in Austin, Texas, you could have a lot of capital. Yeah. Whereas in Oklahoma City, not so much. You know, the the commercial real estate rates are still relatively affordable. You have uh residential rates, of course, the cost of living, you know, is is climbing every day, but it's still affordable in yeah. comparison to some of these cities. Uh so yeah, I mean, I could see, you know, like if the recipes there, you were wanting to start here. Yeah. Uh, but talk to me a little bit about so. Part of what made Austin incredible, right, is that a business could attract the right talent to their town because there was so much other opportunity going on. And maybe if they didn't like the company, hey, there was two or three other companies in that career field. So I think we have to get past that threshold of, of you know, okay, you know, I'm not just coming here for one company. There's, There's now two or three different options I can work for. When do you see that happening?
2: So I think we're, again, I think we're in the early stages of that. I know that, uh, you know, when I visit with policymakers and economic developers, they are very much aware that the paradigm is not what it used to be. It used to be the, the firm located where the firm wanted to be and the workers chased the job and now it's now it's not that paradigm anymore. Mm-hmm. Young professionals locate where they want to live and the firm has to chase the workers. And so I, I think increasingly we're aware that Oklahoma City to cross that that threshold has to become this place where workers mm-hmm. want to come and want to come live mm-hmm. and then firms will locate uh, you know to be to be next to them. And so we're in that process right now. I think just recently in Oklahoma City we had a couple of announcements of some uh, headquarters relocating here. Um, we just conducted some research on headquarter locations. how do how do corporate headquarters decide where to locate? Mm-hmm. Um, and Oklahoma City, I think, is just now emerging as a uh, as a uh, as a rich target relocation option for corporate headquarters.
1: And is that because I mean, obviously there's an interesting landscape with culture developing here and people want to live here. But are, are we cheaper? We are than other places.
2: Yeah. So, so you know, expense comes with uh, with urbanization, mm-hmm. and so Oklahoma City is in these these initial phases of urbanization. So right now, it's still relatively inexpensive to get into the urban core, um, but it's going to become less expensive over time as that urbanization uh, takes place. And so, so, yeah, relatively inexpensive to get into that urban core where it's commercial mm-hmm. real estate, and then still relatively inexpensive to commute in from beyond the urban core. Mm-hmm. So I can I can purchase a home in in the north or. Or south or east or west of Oklahoma City, twenty or thirty minute commute. Uh, I can still get in and out of the urban core uh, pretty effortlessly. I was just having lunch um, with an executive that relocated from New Jersey, and he was comparing, mm. you know, his oh, two wow. and a, his two and a half hour commute that he had into New York to his twenty five minute commute that he has into the, your urban core. Hair, and so yeah, it's it's a combination of two factors.
1: What about this new movement towards work from home or remote uh, working? How is that affecting our economy? Yeah, so
2: it's still as a as a supplemental source of income is how you primarily see it. Um, I do think that uh, that as you go further down this path and you get higher and professionals doing doing a work from home. Um, I think it actually helps some of rural Oklahoma more than it helps urban Oklahoma so I think Oklahoma City um, is probably in pretty good shape uh, regardless of, of how that uh, transforms I think it really in the urban core it's more about a company deciding what's the optimal HR policy do do I allow workers to come in the office two or three days a week or four days a week do I allow work from home do I allow do I allow people who maybe want to work in a, another office for a year to move to another city and come back or uh, but really, the work from home phenomena is really going to is really going to transform rural economic development. Kind of what we saw in Vermont. I don't know if you. Mm. Saw so Vermont recently offered people ten thousand dollars to relocate and work from work for Vermont. Wow! So said, interesting. Yeah, if you, no, if you if you live I mean, anywhere in the United States and you can work from home, yeah. come come work from your home in Vermont, and here's a ten thousand dollar grant to, to get you to relocate. Wow! So I think I think that's what you'll see rural sure. Oklahoma sort of move to.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting concept. Yeah. So as we get to uh, the economy changing, things changing, are we still as oil dependent as we were ten years ago?
2: Yeah. We we really we're. Diverse. Diversified a little more, uh, but we are still an energy state. I don't think there's any way uh, around that reality. I think sometimes we try to convince ourselves that we're much more diversified than we are, um, and I think at other times um, we 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 underestimate how diversified we are. So here's what I mean: uh, absolutely an energy state. This remains one of our our identified industries, but the energy industry is different than it used to be. And so it it used to be that an oil and gas company. Um, was all geologists and engineers right mm-hmm. you had a little bit of logistical support you had an accountant you had a little bit of logistics well, now your oil and gas company is all about supply chain management it's all data analytics it's all it's all i'm no longer trying to find oil so that I can go drill a well. I know where the oil is at with precision i'm now trying to figure out how to optimally extract it's all about analytics and so today's oil and gas company, you know, you're talking about having jobs that 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 are uh, employable in other industries, right? So my dad was a geologist in the oil and gas industry. We went through the bust in the '80s. His friends either left the industry altogether, or they tried to become high school science teachers because mm-hmm. that's all you could do. Right, right, right. But today, you know, today if you're an oil and gas company, you might be in data analytics. You might be in IT. You might be in in uh, you know in in quantitative modeling. You might be in supply chain logistics. You you have these mm-hmm. skill sets that you, yeah. you can go to the aerospace industry. You can go into healthcare. You can take your skill set, and it's transferable. So we're a little more diversified than we appear to be on the surface because the skill sets behind those oil and gas are stores are interchangeable. They're interchangeable. Sure. And they didn't sure. they didn't used to be that way. So
1: So if another industry was to wanna come here, they could say, Hey, you know, we've already got a well trained staff that's already that's right. lives here, you know, and then they could recruit them over.
2: That's exactly right.
1: Interesting. Uh healthcare. That's a big number uh, in our town. Uh, How, I mean, is that grown? Is that, where are we seeing that as far as healthcare employment?
2: Yeah, so it is growing. So what you see in the healthcare side is is you see like on the health research side, that's one sector that's kind of growing at its own pace in terms of the healthcare delivery and healthcare services. That tends to grow in in ebbs and flows. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the data, it almost seems like the healthcare industry will sort of build out, get a couple of years ahead of population growth. And then the population will grow and age into the healthcare infrastructure. And then there'll be another build out, another higher. And so Mm. when you look at those growth rates, you'll see like healthcare employment grow by like 2%, 3%, 2%. And then we'll go through a couple of years where it's like half a percent or quarter percent. And then, so it's almost like they sort of, it's, it's because I can't build out in, in small chunks, right? I have to build a a big medical complex. Mm. So I build out in a big chunk. I wait for that chunk to get occupied. And then I build out another big chunk. So sort of sort of grows at that sort of, you know, a pattern, but absolutely mm-hmm. uh, a strong sector that will continue to be a strong sector in Oklahoma City.
1: Mm. Now, we've got, uh you know, articles coming out, Amazon looking at Oklahoma City, Paycom expanding, Bank One moving their headquarters here. Uh, I think they just bought the Cotter Tower mm-hmm. doing a $20 million renovation down there. Um, there's been a, a change culturally to people wanting to live downtown. Yes. I hear this question, planning, what's the walkability score, yeah. you know, <laughs> right? walkability score. It's Oklahoma city. Right. You know, where are you going to yeah. walk to? Right. You right. know, right. you got to drive everywhere and, and you, there's a parking space when you get there, right. you know, right. like that's the benefit of not needing the walkability right. score, but people are pushing for it yeah. now. And I think it may have something to do with people moving from the East Coast down here. They can sell their place up there and pay cash for a home down here, not even have a mortgage, mm-hmm. and but they still want that lifestyle. So as we're developing that urban core, um, companies are even incentivizing. I know school districts, even if you work downtown, you can get precedents to some of those school districts that have the be- better. So yeah. Okay. So the... We've got kind of the job, you know, the job amount kind of worked out here. How many jobs are coming to Oklahoma City in the future? Are we expected to get more or are we kind of like staying stable here?
2: No. So let let me just address the, the walkability issue which I think is also interesting. I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the ways that you'll know when Oklahoma City has really turned a corner Mm -hmm. is when we have these different chunks of the urban core that are connected and become one contiguous space. So right now, if you're in Oklahoma City, Midtown is just far enough away from downtown that you almost have to get in your car and drive. And downtown's just far enough away from Bricktown that you almost have to drive down. I think the new streetcar will help Mm -hmm. a lot connect those spaces so that Mm -hmm. that it is— walkable in the sense that I can walk to the streetcar and jump off and walk to the next space. Um, but I think that will really accelerate the growth of the urban core when you get midtown and downtown and bricktown, and it feels like it's one contiguous uh, mm-hmm. you know, space. Looking forward ahead, yeah, you know, one of the things that we've been telling economic developers and, and policymakers in Oklahoma City is that try not to get behind the way Austin got behind. And so we've been telling them you know, we really
1: You mean build out the roads? That's right. That's right. Your rapid growth is coming. Public services, yeah. That's right. And and Mm -hmm.
2: and believe it as it happens. And so Mm -hmm. I think the tendency of a city is to say, well, yeah, we had a couple really good years of growth. You don't want to
1: go bankrupt. Yeah, yeah, sure. I don't
2: want to. I don't want to get ahead of this. Mm -hmm. Let me let me see one more year to make sure this is really happening. And then Mm -hmm. you get three years of solid growth, and the city says, "Ah, let me see one more year just so I Mm -hmm. really know before I. But no, I think the strong growth in Oklahoma City. Right. Oklahoma City is Mm -hmm. is favored by geography. Um, I hesitate to say this too often in Oklahoma, but uh, a colleague of mine that really follows urban development, he really talks about Oklahoma City as the northernmost city in Texas. Hmm. So Oklahoma City's economic performance and identity looks like it's the bottom of the top tier of performers in this region, right? So your top tier is... Dallas, San Antonio, uh, Houston, Austin. Oklahoma City looks to belong to that group. Mm. And then you have the second tier economic performers, which Kansas City, Tulsa, Wichita. And it looks like Oklahoma City now belongs at the bottom of the top tier, no mm. longer at the top of the second tier. That makes so sense. So we went to high school. We went yeah. to high school. We graduated yeah, okay. to the top tier. All right. And, and I think, uh, and but I think that portends. Uh, you know, much faster growth in the years ahead, especially if we could mm. if we could combine it with some strong national conditions. Mm. So you also got to think in Oklahoma, you know, we, we've had this growth in Oklahoma City in spite of a great recession that was, you know, for us, our recession really hit us in 2009 and 10. Yeah. Mm. And then you had oil prices collapse in 2014, which was really unique to an energy state. Didn't affect the rest of the nation nearly as so much as it impacted us. And even still, Oklahoma City has experienced, you know, tremendous growth in that, in those last, these last eight years but we haven't had a lot of outside help. Mm. If we get eight or 10 years of, of strong national conditions and reasonable but not volatile oil prices, I think you're really gonna unleash considerable growth in Oklahoma City.
1: I tell you, when you talk to these folks that are in those industries, they really are smart. I mean, they just, God, what's going on? And I would think that would be extremely desirable for any company, uh, regardless of what you're doing in, in oil and gas. I mean, like we talk about that portability of that employees and create, you know, amazing. Um, so urban sprawl moving out and getting the streetcar going. And is that the reason behind the streetcar was to kind of connect the city and get that walkability score up?
2: Yeah, I think that's I think the, the streetcar is a you know, we we started this conversation talking about now jobs have to chase workers. Sure. And so what cities have to do now is they have to signal workers that we're a desirable place to live. We okay. have some we have some features that you will want to come take advantage of and we make it easy for you to enjoy those features. And so for Oklahoma City, we're trying to signal that we've got this neat downtown area. We've got this midtown area. We've got this neat bricktown area. We're in the process of developing this really nice central park. And then we'll have this south side area. And we want to be able to connect these features so that you can come in and uh, and really enjoyed those features. So it's really about connecting these places. Mm-hmm. I think beyond that, millennials say, well, what, what's your broader public transportation system look like? And so that will be a future step for Oklahoma City is to say, OK, well, if the streetcar connects this urban core, these pockets of the urban core to each other, how do we connect people to the urban core that are outside the core? I think that's the, that's the next level of uh, public transportation question.
1: Okay. So this, we really didn't talk about and, and, uh, feel free to pass on this question. Um, so schools have made national news in Oklahoma. We've got an issue here. Um, clearly, anybody that asks me, uh, you know, what's up with the school districts? You know, why are why are we a three out of 10 on some of these schools? Um, what are we doing about that? How do we fix that? And how long is it going to take? Yeah,
2: it's, good. it's So the problem is not unique to Oklahoma and it's going to take a long time to fix um, how you fix it. I, I'm not sure. Um, clearly uh, better support for schools is a step, but it's not, uh, it's not the only step. Um, it's a cultural change. Um, people, uh, need to view what happens inside the public school system as a complement to their own educational efforts, not as a substitute for those efforts. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we see in the economic research is often that, uh, that parents will report certain behaviors in the home. And if the school adopts that same behavior, parents will drop that behavior. And so in other words, parents view it as a substitute. So I used to fix my kids breakfast, but if you're going to serve breakfast, then I won't fix kids, I won't fix breakfast for my kids or... I used to do after-school reading, but if you're going to do a reading program, then I'm not going to read to my kids at home. Mm. And it seems sort of counterintuitive, but mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. a lot of the behavior seems to be- we're, It's an
1: atrophy. Yeah we're, yeah,
2: we're substituting. So I don't I'm view sure. it as, well, you're going to do it. I'm going to keep doing it. We're going to compliment each other. It's, well, if you're doing it over there, then I don't need to do it over mm. over here. And so someone's going to figure out that it's got to be a better relationship between informal mm-hmm. education in the home and in the community and formal mm-hmm. education within the school. I think trying to find uh, trying to find that balance will be- uh, you know, one uh, one important step. I think you when you think in terms of the education of real estate markets, one of the things that I've ad- advocated for is is to try to find policies that allow people to be more mobile. And so let them vote with their feet which school district best matches their uh, you know, their desires. And so mm, what do you mean by that? So if if I if I have somebody that's in a school district and they say the school is not working for my family, mm-hmm. um, you know, in Oklahoma City, in Oklahoma County, we have nineteen independent school districts. And so you have nineteen choices, nineteen different school districts you can live in. And you can still work your same job. You can still go, go to your same church. You can still eat at your same restaurants. You don't have to move far away from those things that mm-hmm. that define your lifestyle. You just have to move a little way and you can be in a different school district with different. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that a city might think about is say, okay, well, how do we make it easier for people to exercise that choice? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe what keeps them from moving is the inability to, you know, to, to to relocate. I, don't, I can't incur the moving expense. I can't afford the down payment on the ne- on the household and school district over. Or and so if we think about, you know, mobility enhancers, how do I make people more mobile? Um, then just by increasing that mobility, that will help people circuit. Sur- search out the high-performing school districts and also help those underperforming school districts relieve some of that stress on their system and, and give them opportunities to But don't
1: they get their funding by the amount of students that they have?
2: They do. But in, in Oklahoma and in most states, you know, there's uh, equalization funding. So the, the more money I raise locally through my local property taxes, the less I get from state funding. And so when you're lot of school districts, it's, you know, depending on, on where you're adding that funding formula, it can be a near dollar for dollar change. And so
1: school districts are so really reducing class size is what we're after then. Yeah, it, it, it just yeah. doesn't.
2: So it doesn't it doesn't particularly matter if I mm-hmm. and that's that's another challenge is if you're a local because that's what
1: everybody thinks right It's like you know more people going to the school you get more money yeah it doesn't, you doesn't get, it's you, not that you, way you
2: get it through the funding formula but it it doesn't uh, it, but that's not the same thing as 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 giving you the resources that you need to be successful and at the local level if you're in a you know local school district mm-hmm. if you raise your property taxes people think well let's just raise our property taxes and let's just build up nice schools for ourselves mm-hmm. but if you raise your property taxes to build those nice schools you lose money from the funding formula from the state, and mm. so you get you raise a dollar from your local tax base, and you lose a dollar from the state.
1: So there's no incentive. There's no incentive, and wow. so
2: and so we're, we we mm. sort of got these mismatched mm. um, funding and in, incentives that I think are complicated problems that have to be resolved. Sure.
1: When we talk about vacant homes, uh, HGTV, who exploded September 30th, 1999, they uh, started a show called House Hunters, and then in 2000 followed it up with Designing for the Sexes and and grew into uh, an amazing uh network that just took over the nation they outsold their print uh, by doing this TV show and now uh, they have like 15 million uh, viewers and i believe that's led to you know the renovation you know craziness that we have now where people want to want to renovate these houses has that affected our economy here i mean aren't they getting higher tax dollars off these homes that were once vacant crappy $80,000 homes and now they're $300,000 homes
2: Right. So, so yes. Um, yeah, yeah. And I'll just share personally, you know, a few years ago, my wife and I were, were looking to thinking about moving and, and, you know, just, at the time it wasn't right for us. And we had an issue with a, a busted shower pan in our master bath. And, uh, and so I told my wife, I said, you know, you, you always watch these HGTV shows. I said, you know, if, if you just want a recreational, you know, remodel experience, instead of moving, let's just, let's just completely redo the master bath. Let's just completely start over and you can just have your, like our own little HGTV show. And my wife was really in this idea. We So I don't know that we'll, I don't know that we'll get, it wasn't about an investment. Will we get it out when we sell? It was about this recreational experience of getting to hire a designer and a contractor and we get to, you know, and so I, I absolutely think there's some of that, you know, that influence on, on those decisions. As to whether or not it increases your property taxes all depends on whether or not uh, it's caught, it's picked up in the appraisals, right? So that's all it's your county assessor. And and I think those are difficult to, you know, to to factor into your, uh, to your appraisal. To to your assessment. Mm-hmm. Um historically, I you know, I study public finance and you know, historically what you would find is people would do these uh, improvements to their homes and then they would uh they would do everything they could to make sure that the assessor never was aware that they had made those improvements because right, you don't right, want right, it. You right. don't You want always it. want that to be low. <laughs> yeah, you sure. want it to be low. Sure. And so it's not until you sell that you want to make a, you want to make your neighbors aware that that you just added a new bedroom or a new bathroom or something. You don't you don't want the assessor to be aware of that. And sure. So yeah, but that that should have I mean that should have some positive impact on uh on, on local taxes
1: and property mm. tax assessments. But you're saying with the equalization when it comes to schools, so the property like, prices can matter. go up as high as they want, but then they just get reduced right. state funding. Yeah. That's a problem. It
2: is. And so it's a challenge. Yeah. And and, and the, you know, the trade-off there is this idea of we want the equalization, right? I don't want mm-hmm. a school district that has property wealth to be able to tax that wealth and have these elaborate schools and small class sizes and these extracurricular activities and I have a, another district that doesn't have that property wealth and they don't have those same options. And so you understand the, the 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 rationale between wanting to equalize and make sure that those educational opportunities are equal across those bases. But what the
1: equalization Because it's effect, the, it's not the kid's fault. It's he not the was born it's in not a a kids' fault family. that he was yeah. born in that yeah, neighborhood sure, or that sure. that
2: district. And so but the but the equalization uh, accomplishes in effect is sort of a race towards mediocrity.
1: Mm. And
2: so and so you see sort of this public school mediocrity developing. And then the other thing that it does is it pushes expenses off books, right? And so mm-hmm. I can't, if I'm in this other, if I'm in this high wealth district here, I can't raise my property taxes and build out these programs, mm-hmm. but what I can do is I can do academic boosters, right? I can do fundraisers for my, for my band. I sure. can do, so it doesn't- Which ex-
1: take off the burden from the actual school, yeah, yeah and they it, get extracurricular yeah, programs. Yeah, so it doesn't- But it, that requires parental involvement. It,
2: it, do, it does, and it disrupts that whole equalization idea, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're trying to accomplish equalization- mm-hmm. Mm. But it's still the case that the high-income district has better instruments and band. It's still the case they have better—
1: Because of yeah, private sponsors. Private and, sponsors, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, dad that writes yeah, exactly. a check. But, sure. But dad sure.
2: can't write a check to the classroom. Dad can't hire a teacher. Gotcha. And so it takes those monies that that people might be willing to give to in the classroom, and it forces it mm, you know, somewhere extra- else.
1: That, uh, so that makes sense. The football program, the— the aquarium and the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the lobby. Exactly. Sure. It's supposed sure. to be
2: equal, but when you see the two schools drive up for the yeah. football game, you know it's not. It's right. easy enough to see the, the bus. Yeah. yeah. The, yeah. the, the bus, sure. the uniforms, the equipment managers, sure. it gives it away. so
1: Sure. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So I'd, I'd never grasp that. So we really need to just do uh, really education in terms of, of parental involvement, like we talk about. Absolutely. And then also, I think technology is going to drive Absolutely. down the cost. I mean when YouTube I mean, why couldn't we have YouTube channels with, yeah. with, with educators? Give the give the lady a break, she can walk outside for thirty minutes. Yeah. The class is now taught by a YouTube channel. I mean, yeah. that's gonna happen. It's yeah. gotta be. Virtual teachers.
2: Yeah, all the ways that, that technology is gonna revolutionize the classroom, right? Certainly yeah. that's that's one of them um but just think about the hours that we send our kids to school right the hours that we send our kids to school it's not about optimal learning mm. it's about it's about taking your kids to school during the work hours mm. right but if i right, was just des- right. if i was just designing if if some if you asked an education expert to design the optimal educational day for a 13-year-old learner, mm-hmm. it would not be a 7.30 to 3.30 school day bit off in one-hour chunks across seven classes. Mm-hmm. The way we structure our day has less to do with what's best for the learning, and it's more about the economy yeah, yeah it's or, more
0: or the
1: yeah, workforce working parents sure. and, and how do i keep these kids occupied which used for to be in a factory right yeah yeah, yeah. So, so it's,
2: it's so it, i think technology will let you revolutionize that right self driving mm-hmm. buses i don't have to stagger my release times anymore right so i, I don't have True. to have i don't have to have elementary schools out at one time middle schools mm-hmm. out, at, and high schools at another time Self-driving buses, smaller buses, better train. I mean, all those things will allow for yeah. for for different paradigms. Cheaper so.
1: construction, too. You can get yeah, expand classrooms and yeah, I mean, virtual learning. Then absolutely. we have to have half the amount of teachers than we used to have.
2: Absolutely. So it shouldn't sure. be the case anymore that if I'm in a small rural district, I don't have access to AP calculus anymore because I can't have a calculus teacher in there for my two students. I only have a...
1: When you've got one an hour and a half away and an IP connection, exactly. that, can, exactly. yeah, that can connect the That's two. That's right. Yeah. No, I agree on that. Okay, so kind of in closing, I know folks are looking at their wallet right Mm -hmm. now and going... Yeah, you know, Doctor Evans, you keep talking about all this exciting stuff, but that's not for me. You know, I'm I'm still here renting, and and I'm not making any more money. I haven't gotten a raise in five years, and and I'm still here. Um, What hope do you have for that guy or girl that that maybe you know they haven't gotten the raise? They they're really not seeing the money. They're not participating. They're just kind of watching this on TV. Yeah. Uh, what's in it for them?
2: Boy, so many things here. That was such a, a loaded question with so many things to talk about, but. You know, what we're seeing right now in the economy is in spite of what looks to be a tight labor market, very low unemployment rates, people have jobs, we're not seeing those wages and those incomes uh, increasing the way you would expect. And so I think a lot of workers right now are saying, boy, you know, the economy looks pretty good, but where's my raise? Where's my significant income gains? The other thing that we've seen coming out of the Great Recession is we've seen wealth increase faster than income. And so in other words, what we've seen is a recovery in stock prices and real estate prices. And so if you were already a high income household and you owned real estate or you owned equities, uh, then those price gains recovered for you and sort of exaggerated this inequality that we're seeing right now. So we're in a period of exaggerated income inequality. If I had wealth, my wealth has recovered. If I didn't have wealth, my income hasn't really changed. I don't feel I don't feel any different. And so I think that's uh, I think that's a challenge for that worker right now. Um, I think what we what I would tell that worker is at least in Oklahoma City, um, those wage pressure pressures are developing. We do see uh, average hourly wages increasing. We are seeing upward pressure on on local incomes, particularly if you're in a uh, professional business services, quantitative uh, field right now, STEM field, very good fields to be in right now in Oklahoma City. So we are seeing some, you know, some upward, uh, you know, wage pressures there. I think the other reality for uh, this, this that's true all over is that Americans just aren't very good savers. I mean, we never have been. So we sort of live in this delusion that our grandparents were really effective at saving money mm. and they weren't, right. So when you actually look at the data, we just, historically, we're not a high saving uh This is country. not a new
1: thing. It's not. It's not a new okay. thing,
2: right? And so, and so that's so a, the
1: storehouse is full of wheat and <laughs> right, barley. Right, that's that, that's that,
2: Egypt. That's, that's right. Yeah. That's really back in yeah. time. So I think, and that's a, that's always a challenge too is how do you encourage, uh, how do you encourage saving? How do you balance saving today, which means slower economic growth today, but faster economic growth tomorrow? How do you balance those trade offs and how do you encourage uh, some of that uh, savings uh, activity. Uh, I think most people uh, that have active savings are saving through their real estate, right? It's people who own their own home, right? Right. And they, and the they the, building. the equity's building, and, sure. and they view that that's a form of savings.
1: Is equity building?
2: Yeah. So equity, home equity is back mm-hmm. to pre-recession mm-hmm. levels. So we're back to two thousand seven eight levels.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, accessible home equity. What you could acce- what you could access right now. Um, you know, through a home equity loan or a line of credit Mm -hmm. um, is at an all-time high. And so one of the things that we're watching very closely on the the economic side is what do people do with that home equity? Mm -hmm. Are they inclined to do what they did in two thousand five, six, and 7, which is a whole bunch of home remodels and- Buy a motorcycle. Buy a motorcycle, consumer spending. Sure. So right now in the economy, spending is growing faster than income. Mm. And so if spending is going to continue to outpace income, people are going to have to spend somewhere other than out of their income. They're going to have to spend out of their savings, out of their assets. And so we're interested to see, do people access their home equity to go buy motorcycles or boats or RVs Mm. or uh, appliances? Or do they remodel kitchens and bathrooms or put a pool in the backyard? Or are
1: they spending it in their business? Are
2: they spending it in their
1: business? Yeah, buying a food truck or something.
2: Or are they upgrading houses, right? Mm. So that's the other thing we're trying to – we're sort of watching. And I don't think there's a lot of evidence just yet that people are taking – home equity out of their existing home Mm -hmm. and using it as a down payment as a way to buy more house, you know, to buy more home. There you go. But but we're still watching that.
1: So if you've lived in your home in Oklahoma City for five years or so, chances are you've got... Pretty good. I think I think the numbers are looking at almost about thirty percent gain over. But what about inflation? Yeah. So again, right now Is that is that eating our equity or are we ahead? Yeah, we're ahead, right? So right okay. now, um, you know, so the old
2: rule of thumb in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City was always that uh you know that you were
1: the linear market. It was sure. yeah, the,
2: your your sure. home your home appreciated at the rate of inflation. So right. it was like you
1: know, there was like right. it was a wash. Yep.
2: Um but recently that's not been the case, right? I think home mm-hmm. home price appreciation have outpaced inflation. Inflation has been really low mm-hmm. uh for the last four four or five years. And so through where, this recovery,
1: Where is it at in your opinion?
2: Inflation. Mm-hmm. So right now, inflation would be somewhere in one and a half, one and three quarters percent. Really? Per year. Yeah. That low? Yeah, yeah. Lower than people think. Interesting. So I think that mm-hmm. there's a tendency to either look at individual prices or specific goods and services and say, boy, mm-hmm. it's really inflation. Yeah, sure. But when you look- the the economy is a whole the whole mm. basket of stuff yeah it's just under two so
1: percent it's not just the price of milk anymore exactly that's right okay. but that but that's the tendency that's still, it yeah. I see
2: that one thing that's yeah. visible I buy it every week yeah, yeah.
1: yep and people say well gosh it's really inflation
2: well it's not it's something specific to that market overall inflation gotcha just under two percent wow that's fantastic
1: all right well Doctor Evans do you have anything to add anything you want to add on here as we're talking about the future of Oklahoma City
2: you know just again that I have been selling the future of Oklahoma City since 2010 or 11 when we we first came across this i-35 corridor idea and uh, and you know obviously I, st- I still think that I still think that I'm right mm-hmm. I still think that we're in the midst of this transformation I still think this transformation has uh, much farther to go than we've already been I think the density that we're seeing develop around the park around the the amenities downtown, are just going to continue to, to accelerate the urban core. I anticipate in Oklahoma City will continue to see announcements of headquarters relocating here. Uh, I think we will emerge as a headquarter destination uh, in the years ahead. So I think the future is very, very bright for Oklahoma City.
1: Dr. Evans, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Happy to be here.
0: That concludes episode 23 of the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to hear weekly updates. For a written transcript of the market data for the week, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter at okcrealestateshow.com. See the latest renovations in Oklahoma City and have fun doing it. Our bus tour ticket registration is open for November's Real Estate Bus Tour. We're meeting at Flashback Retro Pub. You won't want to miss it. okcrealestateshow.com.